0: Developing new software and digital apps isn't something that just anyone can do. In the past, it's been left to highly paid tech wizards. In other words, people who know how to code. But that's changing. The power of low-code development, or even no-code development. That's today on Brainstorm, the podcast about how tech is reshaping our world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brainstorm. I'm Brian O'Keefe. And I'm Robert Hackett, stepping in for of Rum, who is on vacation this week. So, Robert, we're so glad to have you here this week because the topic we're discussing today is something that you know a lot about. In fact, you recently hosted a whole event for Fortune around low code and no code. Why is there so much buzz right now about this trend?
2: You know, it's kind of become conventional wisdom at this point that software is eating the world. Everything is getting digitized, but not everybody is a software programmer. Not everyone is a coder. So even though the world is headed this way, there
0: aren't enough people around to actually make it happen. You know, when I was growing up, everyone told me that I should study Latin, and I did. I took five years of Latin in middle school and high school, and I even took some in college. And they told me that was going to unlock knowledge and languages. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed taking Latin, but I feel like I should have been studying Code Because here we are at this moment where this high technology is such a commodity in the workforce. If you talk to the CEOs that we're talking to all the time, they're desperate for talent. They're looking for ways to reskill and upskill their workers and you know to create new programs that will teach people code. There's a huge push to make people literate in these programming languages. For instance, here's President Barack Obama back in 2013. Don't just buy a new video game make one. Don't just download the latest app, help design it. Don't just play on your phone, program it.
2: So Barack Obama has a pretty hopeful message there saying that anybody can become a coder, but the fact remains that not everybody is. It does take hard work and it's hard to do. And as a result, there aren't enough people to fill those jobs
1: the demand for digital applications vastly exceeds the supply of programming talent. So there's just a a real shortage in technical resources. And you see that um, in these long development backlogs inside of companies, certain financial institutions, life insurance companies, they still don't have digital onboarding in 2021. They're still reliant on phone and fax and visiting branches. So there's just a huge huge um, demand to help companies of all ages, sizes, scales, be able to increase their sort of digital presence. And there's just not enough programmers to do it.
2: That's Layla Sturdy. She's a general partner at Capital G, which is Alphabet's growth equity investment fund. It's a sibling to Google. And basically, they throw money at companies that are looking to grow. And if you want to grow, you need to
0: be on digital. I mean, that is where all of the growth is when she is talking about the finance industry, I mean, think about the massive scale of the financial industry globally and how much potential there is to go from where we are now, where you know people like you and I are doing a lot of our banking on our phones, but there's so many processes, there's so much money, there's so much scale. And these institutions are racing against the clock to find the talent that can come in here and digitize everything that they're doing. I think about blowing up The world's biggest balloon, like the finance industry going digital, is a giant, giant balloon. And they're getting together everybody they can who can help blow up the balloon. But they don't have time to wait for people to go through school and learn to blow up the balloon. They need people who can show up and blow up the balloon now. That's how I think about this code challenge that they have. I like that analogy, Brian. And. Your
2: emphasis on blowing up the balloon, it's about this expansion of business, but there is more complexity to it than just blowing up a balloon. I mean, that's something anybody can do. I might even draw a comparison to balloon animal making. You know, that actually takes some actual talent. And if you had to to teach people to do that, I mean, I can't can't do that. That's why low-code and no-code application development is so important.
1: Low-code and no-code is a trend in software development that actually has been going on for a long time, but I think we've seen an acceleration the last couple of years. And in general, what the trend is, is abstracting some of the complexity of developing software, having to be an engineer who codes directly to build the software, and instead building application development platforms where the software can be configured using sort of drag and drop interfaces. So think of configuring applications visually as opposed to having to code themselves. So Robert, what does she mean
0: there by drag and drop? I mean, that sounds like something that I can do on my MacBook. It is.
2: I mean, think about computer programming. I mean, you see in Hollywood movies, people at a computer, there are lines of code streaming across. It's practically hieroglyphics. Dragging and dropping, on the other hand, I mean, that's something we're all familiar with. We all use computers. If you've got like Dropbox, you want to load up files somewhere, you just click the file, drop it in the folder, and boom, you're good to go
1: if you want to, the start of your website, you need to do identity verification. You could pull a module that will collect the driver's license or passport information, automatically connect to an identity verification um, service, and then move to the, the next module, which you could drag and drop a set of questions if you're collecting information in your onboarding flow. So All of that functionality, which you used to have to sit down as an individual developer and code, you can drag and drop into the visual interface and create the flow for your software application. So that is, you know, that's how these platforms have evolved to enable creators and non-technical people to access the power and the magic of code through these visual platforms.
2: This is a trend that's got a lot of momentum behind it. Gartner, which is a market research company, released a report at the beginning of the year that said the market for low-code development technologies is projected to grow over 20%
0: from where it was in 2020. Yeah, and that makes a ton of sense if you think about it. I mean, last year with COVID, with the pandemic, there was suddenly an enormous demand for digital accessibility. I mean, no one was going and standing in line at you know offices to get in and get their paperwork done, and there was no one in the office to help them if they did. So we saw an enormous amount of digital infrastructure that had to sink or swim. We had state unemployment websites that hadn't been updated for years and they were suddenly crashing.
1: Well, here in Florida, the state's unemployment system failed thousands of people when they needed help the most. The unemployment website
0: crashed over the weekend, leaving hundreds of thousands of people here in New Jersey with no source of income and seemingly nowhere else to turn.
2: The pandemic put a tremendous burden on digital services, and some of them did not make out well. But it also put low-code platforms to work in some serious situations. Uh, and in some cases, it actually had some really great outcomes. Take the partnership between low-code company Uncork and New York City.
1: As the early wave of, of COVID cases were on the rise, they needed to both gather information from some of their citizens, and they needed to identify food insecure citizens who typically went to in-person sites to get food. So they partnered with Uncork to build this platform in sort of a matter of weeks, which basically coordinated information about where the people they needed to get food to were. They integrated an API with food delivery services. They built this application in weeks and delivered over 60 million meals um, in the early days of COVID. The value prop there is obvious, it's speed um, to build a custom, highly functional application in a time sensitive way.
0: We found another example that clearly illustrates the value of low code down in San Antonio, Texas. The city's Neighborhood and Housing Services Department created a program in 2018 that was designed to provide emergency housing assistance to between 200 and 400 families per year. It had a million dollar budget and everything was on paper. People would bring in verification documents. They'd manually fill out the forms, all hard documents. Then COVID hits, and they have a week to digitize this whole workflow. Veronica Soto is the program's director.
3: It went live April 14th. On April 20th is when we went to city council. The day we went to city council, because we had to appropriate the money, we had a 1,000 applications that day. So we went from 200 to 400 a year to a 1,000 in one day.
2: That's amazing. I mean, they did this all in a week. That's not the sort of thing you'd expect
0: out of government. How do they make the transition so quickly? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. They were able to partner with a company called Mendix which is a low-code software company. And basically, they worked 18-hour days going back and forth with the developers.
3: In San Antonio, we have a large Spanish-speaking population, and those are people who certainly were clients for this program. And so we had to trans I was doing the translation. I think I submitted like five different applications, testing, saying here's the errors, here's, here's where it got hung up, or... You know, it seems like there's a bug in here. So it was can you make this easier? Can you combine this? Can you upload more quickly? They built the bones. We tested it and refined it, but we basically had like seven days to make sure it was working okay before we said this program is created and it's now open.
0: Veronica and the city administrators worked with the low-code developers to take a system that they already had and scale it up and fine-tune it and make it work for this process. And it was really the fact that it was this low-code user-friendly system that allowed them to do this in a really short period of time.
3: We're doing 200 to 300 applications a day. We're spending half a million to a million dollars a day in the program. Last week, gosh, in July, we're approving folks in three days. So we got an application on Monday and I had the fiscal staff on Thursday saying, this can't be right. This person just applied on Monday. And I said, no, it's right. Go ahead and uh, sign off on the check. So that's pretty darn good.
0: That kind of efficiency isn't just happening in San Antonio. It's across the board. Everywhere that low code is being used successfully, it's Cheaper and faster.
2: Sounds to me like companies that get on board with low code and no code are going to have an advantage over the ones that don't. Sounds like a train I would not want to miss.
0: Robert, let's cast our minds back to a time before low code and no code. Back in the olden days... You had just two options if you wanted to digitize your workflow, according to Michael Beckley. He's the chief technology officer of a low-code platform called Appian.
4: It was the first company to go public as a low-code vendor. In the world before low-code, you had to make a choice. Were you going to buy packaged software off the shelf, buy a CRM system, buy an ERP system, and conform the way you worked, change your business processes to fit into the way those systems captured data and the way they processed data and the workflows that were coded into them. Or you would start from scratch and build your own custom software. And what people found was if they had to customize an existing packaged software application, it would take them minimum 18 months and they would end up with something that was still not what they wanted and made it difficult and expensive to upgrade the existing packaged software they'd purchased. Uh, The customizations broke the software basically. Uh, it was not uncommon for package software vendors, even today, to say to their clients, basically, don't change us, change yourself, <laughs> like we know better than you, we're giving you the best process. And if that's true, then, you know, great. But in the most cases, we find clients are trying to differentiate on their process, they're trying to provide a better customer experience, they're trying to provide a better product. And to do that means to have a different process. And so Appian allows you that fluidity, that that responsiveness, that speed, And so now you're able to build that perfectly tailored software for you, those automated workflows and do it in half the time.
2: That sounds really nice, but how can it actually be perfectly tailored software? I mean, this software is being used across so many different companies, so many different industries from trucking to big pharma. I mean, these businesses have different needs. How can this technology be so nimble and yet also respond to each of these companies unique demands?
0: That puzzles me, too, but Michael Beckley says that, you know, a certain amount of standardization is important, but the fact that you can create these systems that are flexible and simple and then adapt them is actually giving you kind of the best of
4: both worlds. To a large degree, you want to have many different applications built, many different automations built for your employees, that all look and feel the same. So there isn't a large learning curve for them to go through to figure out how to do their job, whether they are processing a clinical trial request or performing some new regulatory reporting for the government on the results of that clinical trial, or they're actually packaging the life-saving therapy for distribution into many different regions with the right labels and warnings. And and so that kind of supply chain of work with many different actors, that consistency is good. We provide a large set of of objects that you can use to create tailored experiences. It is the best of both worlds. It is giving you standardization and consistency when you want it for your employees, for your partners, your business partners, to ensure that it's easy to learn and easy to use and consistent. And then for your tailored brand experiences, you have total control or you can embed Appian data and Appian objects inside of your completely custom digital web experience.
2: Now let's pause here for a second, Brian, because we keep talking about low code and no code, but it's not as if there is actually no code. I mean, these are software technologies. There is actually programming going on underneath the surface here. It's There is code under the hood. So how do we reconcile that?
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're not talking about magic here, Robert, and uh, it's actually very sophisticated. Here's how Michael describes
4: it. For as long as there's been software, people have been trying to create software automatically, visual programming, ways of talking to the computer, and instead of having to know the computer's language, why doesn't it just understand us? And what makes low code so powerful and timely today is that there've been advances in artificial intelligence, advances in data processing, advances in, in graphical programming that allow us to actually make software smart enough to understand you more easily and also understand more complex processes and understand more complex work patterns. So it's the combination of being able to describe a business process visually, drag and drop to create the user experience, drag and drop to create the data model that you want, and drag and drop to connect systems from all different places. And to be able to do that all together without resorting to traditional coding that combination, just like an iPhone is a combination of a a high power lithium ion battery and a multi-touch touchscreen and a internet connectivity device, right? You put it all together and suddenly the world changes. And that's exactly what's happening with low code. When we're able to put together all of these new different technologies We can actually understand what you want to do and execute it brilliantly and keep improving it over time. As we improve the platform, your software gets smarter, gets better, and works together with you and your people and your teams and your other software better.
0: So, Robert, as we talk about all of this no code stuff, I think it's tempting to hear it and hear no code. Hey, no work, no no fuss, no muss. It sounds like we don't even need code anymore because we have this system that we can just apply. Is that really the case? Like you said earlier, I mean, this isn't actually fairy dust. According
2: to Layla Sturdy, this is not going to put software developers out of work.
1: Not at all. It's the opposite. So that's the thing is that, uh, there's so much demand that there will be plenty to do for software developers. Um, this is about, um, taking sort of the, you know, if you think of where we are with internet and software today and less than 1% of people have helped create, you know, the software and, technology that we use today and I think these no code and low code platforms are about helping the other 99% also contribute more to the creation of, of digital tools and experiences and for you know digital expression there will be plenty to do for software developers but I think there's also going to be a, a renaissance in what non-technical people can create and build on top of these platforms
0: as a non-technical person myself I find this really exciting you know it's the idea that somebody like me, could actually work with code and create something cool. All right, maybe not me, maybe my 13-year-old, but it does make me wonder if anybody can code with low code or no code, is that going to disrupt companies? Is that going to disrupt the way, you know, this industry functions? What do you think, Robert? You know, Brian, there is just a lot of work to get
2: done out there, and there is a bottleneck. There aren't enough people to get it done. Up until now, we've been relying on these, you know, the skilled class of Silicon Valley brainiacs to to do everything. And what low code, no code is enabling is this new set of workers, these citizen developers, your ordinary everyday people
0: to actually go out and get work done. I like it. Coding power to the people. All right. That's it for today. Robert Hackett, thank you so much for joining us on this week's podcast. Thanks for having me, Brian. It was a pleasure. We'll be back next week with more talk on how tech is reshaping our world. The Brainstorm podcast is a production of Fortune Media. Our show is written and produced by Wyatt Orm and edited by Nicole Vergala. Music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds NYC. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold.